How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com. And anywhere you download podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello. And joining me, we got the boys back. The, bo- the band is back together. Former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano, former University of Hawaii offensive lineman RJ Hollis. And guys, we have a lot to talk about because the University of Hawaii football team played its second game at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Still no fans in attendance. You did have the ban, which brought a little bit of energy, but ultimately everyone witnessed a loss to San Jose State, 17-13, to a game that makes the University of Hawaii 1-3 for the first time since 2016. They are now 0-1 in the Mountain West Conference. And first things first, That game was on national television. And one thing that really jumped out to me from the get-go, as soon as this game ended, was there's something different about this loss. When you look at the reaction from fans, when you look at the dejected faces of players, this game brought a bitter taste. And so, Rich, first things first, before we even get started, what was it about this game? Why do you think this one hurt a little bit more than others? You know, I've always uh, been a defensive purist, and but I had to work for June Jones, and I've been around the run and shoot uh, a number of years. And when you look at just the proliferation of uh, the passing game, um, this one hurt because I don't know if it's six or seven or eight three and outs. I don't know if it's the 11 punts. I don't know if it was the drop balls. Um, I, I don't I, I, the just lack of offensive identity when you have so many stars on the offensive side of the ball and my expectations are so high because you know people talk about how skilled these guys are Calvin Turner, Chevin Cordero, you know Nick Martiner's really coming into his own Jared Smart's been consistent. I still think this team has a good offensive line. I still think this guy number 12 with the ball in his hands is as dangerous as anybody in this Mountain West Conference. But you would never know if that was the first game you watched for the University of Hawaii. You'd be sadly disappointed in their offensive identity. RJ, why do you think this one brought such a a bitter taste? Uh, I think it's definitely a lot what Rich said. You know, just having such a good offense and and seeing how they came out and performed. The defense, for the most part, you know, held their own. Uh, But I think the biggest disappointment was that SJSU played a really bad game. I mean, at at the end of the day, there's a lot that UH could clean up, but I think the most disappointing part was UH beat San Jose in every single offensive category uh, the other night. They had more rush yards, they had more pass yards, they had more total yards, and they had more time on possession and still scored less points. Not only that, San Jose did not have their starting running back in Tyler Nevins. They lost Derek Dees early, and one of San Jose's wide receivers was backup QB Nick Nash. So San Jose, uh, you, you got to tip your hat off of them, you know, for, for squeezing out the win, for being able to get it. But I think the most disappointing thing about all of this is that neither team really played well. I, I think the biggest thing that people were, were seeing the other night was that both teams were making mistakes and neither one could really capitalize on it. It was kind of just a, a, a ping pong of luck until – San Jose just got the last hit. So I think the most disappointing thing about it was really just, you know, San Jose did not play their best game as well. 
yet they still managed to beat you at home. Add in all the drama that was coming in all the weeks because no fans were going to be allowed. I think that's what adds to the disappointment of a loss at home. Yeah, definitely a great cloud over University of Hawaii football when you figure that the whole week, uh, all the conversation was no fans in attendance. And and what's the logic behind that when other things are open? The University of Hawaii had a plan in place for vaccinated fans only with masks. And yet uh, similar things like restaurants and concerts and music festivals and comedy shows uh, with that same rule in place and that same protocol and guidance is allowed to have fans in, but the University of Hawaii not. And so the, this great cloud, because you even notice uh, with the players, any of the players that you might follow on social media, that's all they're talking about leading into this game. So, um, you know, following sports my whole life, you know, that can go either one of two ways. A team rallies around it, puts a chip on their shoulder uh, to win despite all of this. Or the other one is it just adds more stress to a team uh, that's getting ready to play in a big game. But RJ, you brought it up winning every statistical category offensively in this game. You brought up first down 16, to 15 university of Hawaii. They outgained the Spartans 127 to 56. They outpassed 242 to 235 in total yards, 369 yards to 291 yards. Um, it, it reminds you of that game in the Norm Chow era that the university of Hawaii's snapped a long road losing streak to San Jose State and it was the reverse where San Jose State kept getting into the red zone they kept turning the ball over on downs or throwing interceptions or missing field goals they they had a bunch of trips into the red zone and came out with it with zero points and it was the one of the craziest games I've ever seen that how, how Hawaii won that game but here in reverse you're seeing it with the Spartans coming out on top but um, let's talk about some of the the specifics about this game. And let's start on the offensive side of the ball and let's not avoid the elephant in the room. When you look on social media, on what was trending most during that game, when you look at the conversations that are taking place here a couple of days after this loss, there was a lot of questions about the offensive play calling uh, by offensive coordinator Bo Graham for this game. And, and when you really break it down and you look at it, it was a balanced offensive attack where you had 39 passes, 37 rushes. You uh, pretty positive on first down. I'd say that the average was four yards on first down. They put themselves in a lot of first and fives or second and fives, I should say. Uh, a ton of third and shorts that were just not converted. But uh, like Todd Graham said at the end of the game, four of 18 on third down tells the story of what happened for this offense. And I think both of you will agree that you're not going to go four of 18 on third down and win very many football games. And that's what you saw right there. But rich offensive play calling, did, what, what jumps out to you and what are your thoughts on, is it something that, you know, you hear a lot of people calling for more throws, uh, you know, more passing plays. And yet there was more passing plays than there were running plays in this game. What do you think causes um, this frustration from the fan base in regards to the play calling on offense? Well, I, I still believe that you know, they're used to, Hawaii fans are used to the run and shoot, whether it's June Jones with a snake Rolovich, whether it's Ron Lee at St. Louis, uh, they're used to prolific passing attacks. And uh, that's kind of the way of the world right now. So when you bring in a tight end, when you bring in um, more of an inside zone running game, um, I, I think 
that in itself sometimes will upset some of these uh, offensive uh, people, people that love offensive football, that like throwing the football. Um, it's hard to put a finger on because, like you said, they did win on first down. But there was a lot of times on second down you would expect them to do something different, and it was inside zone. And the inside zone worked sometimes, but a lot of times it led to a third and three, a third and four, a third and two. And then it was execution, whether a receiver would drop a ball, whether Chevin was was not uh, on target, whether they just had that play covered. Um, I'm almost thinking like a coach, like you have to self-scout yourself and figure out, are, is the other team figuring out what you're going to do? But it's the answer to that question is no, because I don't think Hawaii does the same thing week in and week out. I, I don't know if they are confident in what they can do. I remember when it was getting Calvin Turner the ball, and you saw that against Portland State. I remember when it was adding number 12, Chevin Cordero, whether it was a quarterback power, whether it was a, a read option, whether it was an RPO. I, I still think that they need to do more with number 12. And then you have an emerging Nick Mardner, who is really a, a big play threat, a really an NFL type of receiver here in Manoa. And then you got to get him the ball too. There's only one ball, but you got to get some rhythm. You got to get some identity and you got to start doing things consistently good because that would be better than occasionally great. You know, RJ, last week uh, when we talked about what you wanted to see and, and, and something that you thought could be worked on was that sometimes the, the over-pursuit of trying to get number seven the football and doing a little bit too much to get Calvin Turner the ball. And then when you look at this game, he gets seven carries, he gets four receptions, he had more targets uh, that went unsuccessful. Uh, but when you look at the end of the day on the stat sheet, 11 touches for Calvin Turner Jr. Was that enough? Did, like, where, where, what happened this week in regards to they got more guys involved, but yet it left a lot of people wanting more? Uh, I, I, Rich hit it directly on the head. I mean, even when you talk about the play calling, it, it's one thing to be in a position to, to score. It's one thing to have a concept that's just going to come out there and win, but Sometimes the players just have to execute. I, I feel like there was a great uh, uh, attempt to try and add more offensive weapons in this week, and that's something you're going to have to do going down the line because at the end of the day, Calvin Turner can't beat everybody. Regardless of how many times you try and get him the ball, this is 11 people on the offense. Like Rich just said, Nick Mardner is showing himself to be an NFL-level receiver. You went out and you got tight ends. You have two good running backs and Day-Day Hunter and Dedrick Parsons, so there's other people – that you can use. Now, it's easy to get on the reverse end and want to blame it on not getting Calvin Turner the ball when things do go bad. But the biggest thing that happened on Saturday night was there was just so many drops, so many miscues on offense that it would almost be impossible to honestly put it all on play calling because as a player, as a former player, the one thing we always knew is a coach can't make a catch. A coach can't make a block, regardless of what play they call. Maybe if we agree with it, maybe we don't. It doesn't matter. If you execute your assignment, you would be so surprised on how many plays actually work. So I think with Calvin Turner not being the focal point, that did work to an extent. And when you not have any fans on uh, campus, when you don't have any fans to come around there and play, you're not trying to sit out there all day and have quick three and outs on the passing game and give San Jose – four or five, six more possessions to go against you. You, you want a balanced game. You want to run. 
You want to eat the clock. You want to keep them guessing. And by not always giving the ball to Calvin Turner, that's what you do. But I think the biggest issue comes in when you do try to get the other people the ball and they drop it. When you do try and run the ball and it gets blown up in the backfield. When you do have three and outs where you're trying to do things differently, I think that makes a lot of people question you because it's easy to question from a TV screen. It's easy to question from a sideline. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of it comes down to if the players execute more, I think there would have been a lot more positive plays on Saturday night. And honestly, I think you get a, a different turnout regardless of how many times Calvin gets the ball. So I think in this case, it, there the, the play calling to me was not as bad as people would make it seem. You want to get off the field. You want to run the clock. You want that game to be quick. People were already mad that there was no fans. People were already mad that the parents couldn't come. If I'm a coach for Hawaii, I know I don't want this to drag out all day. So the play calling was smart, but at the end of the day, when you lack execution, when they don't get to third and second and convert those, then you start to wonder as a fan, well, why not just try and get the ball to your best players? Why not just try and include Shevin? And at the end of the day, that's not going to work all season. So they had to try and figure something out. And Saturday night, it, it just didn't work more than it did. Both of you guys mentioned drops, and that definitely was a storyline for anyone that watched that game. And, and I tried to go back, and you know, with with some, you can debate on whether or not it's a drop or whether or not it's, um, you know, it, it was properly defended, even though their hands got on the ball. And uh, but going back, I mean, you could make the argument of six, seven, eight, possibly could be categorized as drops in that game. And a couple that jump off to the, you know, on the, off the top of the head are, are on third down. Uh, a big one was uh, Aaron Cephas of uh, uh, the sideline, who was a third and long, would have put Hawaii into scoring position with a 7 nothing lead, or you figure maybe they walk out of there with a 10-0 lead or a 14-0 lead. Definitely changes the face of the game, um, but unable to do that. Give San Jose State the ball, and San Jose State is able to answer back, and, and there the, the game goes on as, as it goes. Uh, another uh, in uh, third down play, uh, Calvin Turner goes up for the ball, unable to secure it. And uh, the University of Hawaii, uh, therefore, has to punt. And that came after a, a an offensive penalty that pushed them back a little bit. And so you look at little things like that and uh, a first down is made on this one possession and that might change everything that might change how someone feels about a play call because they got put into third and three and was able to convert and they're moving the chains. But what happens is you have an incomplete pass and then you got a punt and then you're able to retrospectively go back and say, what are they doing? Right. And so, um, you know, with that being said, you know, there are questions, right? Like Rich brought up where you get into, you get positive yards on the first uh, play of the game on the first play of the possession, I should say, uh, why not? go deep knowing that you've already picked up some yardage. And so you can always make those questions. Um, but you guys both brought up drops. What do you think it is? What, what can you see that's happening? Because we've asked the team, we've asked coach Graham, if the lights are an issue, if playing at Ching complex is an issue. And, and everyone is saying no to this point that that, that Portland State game, that wasn't the issue. That's not what happened there. Um, but as two games go on and then you see San Jose State with drops as well, it makes you wonder, is there something about that athletics complex that's making it difficult? Rich, what do you think it is? What is leading to this? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And when we called the game, 
I remember talking to Kanoa uh, Lehi about this. When you look at the lights at TC Ching, and I, and I know there's uh, specs, there's, there's a certain amount of illumination that has to be in order to hold a Division I football game there, and I'm sure they, they've passed the test. But again, you, when you think about how many drops Portland State had, and even though they, you know, they, they were successful. When you look at the drops that I've never seen, I'm talking high school, maybe even Pop Warner have as many drops as San Jose State had. They were literally, uh, you know, receiving one-on-one was happening on the sidelines with the receiver coaches to the receivers about looking the ball. And so some of it obviously is execution, concentration, you know, all that stuff. Is it the lights? You can blame that. But again, it's the same for both sides, but both sides, had a tremendous amount of drops. And, you know, I think it's a little bit more nerve wracking, especially the butterflies when you have 100,000 people in the stadium. There's nobody in the stadium. I would imagine the University of Hawaii has practiced at nighttime numerous times. There's no excuses for the lights. No matter what the illumination is, you've practiced in that. You need to look that ball in, secure it before you get your eyes up field. Some of it is afraid of uh, contact. Some of it is Get looking upfield uh, before you catch the football. So those are all fundamental things that can get better. But you almost have to have a conspiracy theory in this whole dropping of balls because I've never seen this amount of drop balls in my life. RJ, well, what jumps out to you as far as the issue that's going on? What's your conspiracy theory on uh, <laughs> the drop passes here for the University of Hawaii? Uh, well, my conspiracy theory would be that the delivery man stopped to pick up chicken and then touched every football before <laughs> he took it down to TC Ching. I mean, Rich hit it on the head. It'd be totally different if the drops were only on one side. But, you know, I was one of those people in them conversations saying, what is on these footballs? I mean, San Jose, a wide open drop touchdown. Aaron Cephas, who we know is a is a pretty good receiver. I mean, he hasn't had much chance to show what he can do but you know crossing routes like that open that is not the type of pass we expect to see these guys to drop I mean even in some of the throws you're starting to wonder if the light's getting in the quarterback's eyes so I mean I, I don't know maybe it was chicken grease on, on the footballs maybe they loop them up too much or whatever uh, I, I don't know there has to be some sort of conspiracy though because like Rich said I mean I've watched high school I've watched middle school junior college all that at this many drops on both sides of the field that that's something that I, I've almost never seen so I don't know what happened but I'm 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 willing to bet that there had to be some reason as to there being this many drops whether it was the lights or the balls themselves I don't know but I do not feel that both sides of the ball would be dropping this many uh balls offensively and something not be wrong with them so uh, that's something they should definitely look into before another team comes back to T.C. Ching because nobody wants to see that again. You know, looking big picture, how dangerous is a loss like this? And how dangerous is a one and three start to a team that is in its second year of a, a new head coach and a new system? And, um, and you look at the first year of a transition from Aloha Stadium to Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex because of the drama of what happened at Aloha Stadium. You're looking at the second year of no fans. You're the only program in the country that is dealing with this right now in regards to it being an empty stadium. Um, I, I, I can tell you guys this. This is a frustrated football team. I, I know neither of you were at the game, uh, watching the game on television. I was 
at the stadium uh, covering this game. And this is a very frustrated football team. And you have to imagine that, you know, for everything that you guys talked about, coaches are probably frustrated because of the lack of execution. Players are probably frustrated because as we see and we hear on social media that there's a lot of talk about certain play calls and play calling styles. And so when you put it all together and through four games, you have three losses and two of them were blowout losses. And one of them was one that you probably should have won, but you lost on your own whole field. Is, is this a time to be concerned, RJ Hollis, that things could go one of two ways and, and, and one of those ways is a really ugly spot? Oh, definitely. It's 100% um, worrisome, especially when, like you said, Rob, you got frustrated players and frustrated coaches. I mean, I feel for everybody that's on that program right now. Me personally, I was, like I always say, a a huge guy when it came to, to interacting with the fan base, when it came to talking to recruits. There was a lot of recruits, you know, Nick Nelson, Daniel Lewis, uh, guys that I brought on myself, you know, but knowing that you're bringing on a future generation, being able to see the past generation, being able to be around 20 and 30,000 fans. Granted, it's at a 50,000 people stadium, so it makes it seem like there's not that many, but these are all things that were taken for granted, you know, prior to now. What you're starting to see is frustration coming because this is a team that has not had regular football in two entire seasons. You're talking about a head coach who can't even have official visits, who can't even have recruits at his stadium. You're talking about players who have to talk to their frustrated parents the night before a game. I mean, there's parents that have to redo their travel schedule, that have to cancel their hotel room and booking because they were already planning to come to Hawaii. And when they get denied, well, they're talking to their kids about that. And the kids are frustrated. The coaches are frustrated. And they understand why the players are frustrated. And you add all that up into a losing season, it's very dangerous. It is a very scary, scary thought especially when you look at some of the teams that are going to be coming to T.C. Ching to play, namely Fresno State, who just beat UCLA, which is the team that beat you 44-10, to 10, and they're ranked. So it's like you're going to have a tough schedule still going forward. Granted, you've played two Pac-12 teams, but the Mountain West is not sweet. There are no sugar cookies on your menu. You're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to earn it. That's hard enough to do by itself without having to worry about, well, can we have fans this week? Without having to worry about, well, can my mom come? Can my dad come? But the coach is not having to worry about, well, are we going to get the kids that are excited because there's going to be fans here? Are we going to have to deal with the kids that are upset because they're playing college football a different way than everybody else in the nation? So I I think with, you know, the, the COVID protocols, with not having fans, with all this stuff going on, that in itself is a huge problem. But you add losing to the equation, losing to a new coach who still hasn't had the opportunity to really get involved with his fan base because of COVID. You're, you're, look, you're talking about something that's scary. There's people talking independent. There's people talking going D1AA, FCS, and just to have all of these ideas sputtering and the fans not being able to interact with the, fa- with the players or the coaches and the coaches seeing this and the players seeing this. It's a scary thought, Rob. It really is. And they got to find some way to right the ship because this can honestly get out of get out of control 
quickly. Rich, uh, RJ brought up something interesting, and I know uh, what your role was at the University of Hawaii and how heavy it was in recruiting in your time coaching there. For the University of Hawaii to be the only program in FBS football to not be able to host recruits, to not be able to have official visits right now because you can't get anyone into the stadium and be able to experience University of Hawaii football right now. How big is that? I think it's huge. And RJ touched on so many different points, but just from a recruiting standpoint, this is two years in a row now. You're playing in a 9,000-seat stadium. That would be intimate. That would be great to have students and everything else, but it's still 9,000 seats. And if you can't even do that, what about the transfer portal? Who wants to play in the uncertainty of Hawaii, one of the only program in FCS, FBS, high school, junior college, NIA, Division three that does not have fans, NFL? You turn on the TV on Saturday, Friday, Sunday, and you see this packed stadiums, no masks. Uh, and, I, and I realize we have different problems here in the state of Hawaii, but it's not good. And we are very fragile right now when you talk about the millions of dollars in revenue loss. When you talk about the non-revenue producing sports that rely on football to generate income, this is a real fragile time for the University of Hawaii. And if it goes south, like it has been, especially on national TV, USC, Oregon State, and now San Jose State, where you don't play well, what recruits going to want to come to a stadium if they don't think there may be any fans? It's a losing program. And that's all they know. And that's what the rest of the nation knows right now because you've performed poorly on national TV. So yeah, it, it is a time that I think is real fragile. And I think it's a time where you got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. And, and I still believe, and the glass is overflowing with me. You still got Chevron Cadero. You still got Nick Martin. You still got, you still got uh, Calvin Turner. You still have a good veteran offensive line. You still have some players on defense. You can still win, and you got to believe you can win. But it's not just coaching and bad offensive play calling. It's execution. It's belief. It's rallying yourself to, you know, you're 111th and doing your job. And right now, you can blame it on coaching. You can blame it on play calling. You can blame it on execution. But it better get turned around quick or this is going to be ugly for the whole athletic program. Yeah, absolutely. And as RJ mentioned earlier, it doesn't get any easier because after a road game against New Mexico State, you then come back home for homecoming to face a Fresno State team that just knocked off a nationally ranked UCLA squad that the University of Hawaii is very familiar with, with, with their 44 to 10 loss to open the season. And after that game, although you do get a bye, you're playing Nevada, the team predicted to win the West Division in the Mountain West Conference. And so uh, and then you don't even we're not even talking about San Diego State yet, who knocked off Utah. You get them a couple of weeks later. This West Division is tough. And I think going back to why this difficult, why, why this loss was so difficult was because I think a lot of people understand how tough the West is going to be in the Mountain West Conference and how many teams are going to knock each other off. And so getting the wins when you can is going to be so important when you're trying to win a divisional title. And San Jose State put themselves in a great position by getting this win over Hawaii because, you know, no disrespect to UNLV, I think that's the team that looks like is the one that will have the toughest time winning a divisional title in 2021 because of the strength of Nevada, Fresno State, San Diego State, and, and the University of Hawaii entering the year um, coming off of a bowl game victory over Houston and a five and four season where you're able to beat Nevada 
Um, and, and last season, so many of the teams in the West knocked each other off. So definitely, it's a very fragile time, as Rich Miano put it here for the University of Hawaii football team through four games to be one and three on the season. Now, uh, obviously, the defense had their best outing of the season where they're able to hold the San Jose State offense to just 291 yards. Uh, Todd Graham said in the press conference on Saturday that I, he didn't think that he's ever held the team to 300 yards of total offense and lost the game. Um, so real quickly, before we get to other things defensively, I think it was a mixed bag. And we've heard both of you talk about it so far in regards to the defense did play well. San Jose State did play bad at the same time. And so you put those two together and that's what you get on Saturday night. But Rich, as a defensive guy, what did you see out of this UH defense in, as far as improvements that tell you that maybe the 300-yard rushing performances that teams are putting up against Hawaii may be a thing of the past? I'm not sure, Rob, because, you know, I, I do believe they came out and they were attacking. Attacking. I do believe they showed numerous fronts. They were bringing a lot of people, and, 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 and their, their gap integrity was pretty strong early in that first quarter. Uh, stopping the run, I think, was, they were very uh, aggressive, and they did a nice job, although I think you would – dealing with a wounded San Jose State team, including one offensive lineman who got hurt during the game, one that was hurt prior to this football game, not having your star running back in there. But but I, I like the way they were attacking. I like the way they were coming off the ball. I like the way that they were game tackling. But I still think in the back of your mind as a secondary coach, when you put on the film and you take away those 10-plus drops, that was a 200 yards of drops. I'm talking a couple of deep balls that were dropped right in the hands of receivers. I'm talking about some crossing routes, some drag routes that were dropped. I'm talking about some swing passes that were dropped. You, you know, you're going to drop balls. Nobody's perfect. This is not a perfect foot, uh, football game. But if they catch what they should have caught, I think these statistics would be a hell of a lot different. And we're talking about 500 yards on offense. And that's without one of their receivers with a backup. That's without their star running back. That's without Derek Deese. So I'm not sure you can take away much from this defensive game other than they did attack downhill. They did stop the run no matter who's at running back. But there's a lot to work on defensively. They didn't take the ball away like they needed to take away. And to me, their coverage, and they are left on a proverbial island because of this run attacking scheme bringing so many people to the line of scrimmage and you have to be great as a defensive back. And these are good defensive backs, but man, uh, it's going to be interesting moving forward, Rob. I, I think you can take away some positives, but there were some negatives defensively as well. All right. We're going to go to the Bose football final mailbox real quickly because you're leading me into something that was brought up by uh, one of the people that sent in questions to my Instagram story at, at Rob DeMello. Of course, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, also on Facebook at Rob DeMello. Uh, and so the first question comes from Fresh 5 asking, how does UH get into a bowl game? Can UH still turn it around. And so when you look at one and three, that's four games on the schedule already done. That means they have nine games remaining. And let me tell you which games they have remaining at New Mexico state at home against Fresno state on the road against Nevada at home against New Mexico state on the road, Utah state back home, San Diego state on the road, UNLV. And then you have a home game against Colorado state and you end your season against Wyoming. So of those nine games, Theoretically, unless uh, the good fortune comes of not enough bowl eligible teams uh, being in there 
and giving you a spot into a bowl game despite a losing record, the University of Hawaii is going to have to win six of those nine games. Is that possible, Rich, from what you see out of this team? And how do they get that done? Yeah, it's not possible if you're looking at how they have performed these first four games. But again, I am not proverbial uh, great expectations, and, and I don't want to blow smoke up anybody's you-know-where. I still believe in this team. I, I, I'm a talent evaluator. I still believe Shevin Cordero is so dangerous. I think that Turner's the best offensive player in this league. I think Mardner's an emerging superstar at wide receiver. I think this is a good offensive line. I think they have enough on defense. They're not playing well on special teams, but it's, you know, it's things that can be fixed. It'll be extremely tough to win six out of nine the way they're playing. Hell, hell no. They'll be lucky if they can win three out of nine. But if they play well and up to their potential, yes. And I, and I believe this team. It's almost like I want to go into that locker room and let these guys know how good they can be. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. And if you need to have somebody tell you how good you are, you're in trouble. Because I've always, and RJ will tell you, you got to believe in yourself first. It shouldn't take somebody to tell you that you are better than your opponent, but you got to go show it and you got to execute and you got to, it starts at practice tomorrow. I wouldn't be able to sleep if I was uh, three quarters of this football team. And uh, RJ Hollis, by the way, had to jump out uh, real quickly. He hopes to get back in before we say aloha here uh, tonight or today, I should say, on, on Bose football final. Uh, but let's move on to the next question. This comes from Debbie asking how much, did an empty stadium play a part in team's lack of enthusiasm? And so that's an interesting comment by Debbie, because like I said, I was at the game and I don't know if enthusiasm is the right word, but it seemed to be a team on edge and not the good kind of edge, not the kind of edge, like you're ready to run through a brick wall. It almost seemed like a team that, that, uh, that was itching for something like all was entered the game already upset about something you know what i'm saying like the yeah. sidelines were were very quick to bark at each other they're very quick to uh to bark back at a coach when a coach is instructing them um head down coming off of third down drops and and, and when other players are trying to console them just wanted to be left alone it, there was a lot of that and and that was with them winning the game 7-0 you know at one yeah. point that, being down one point and, and you're seeing that. And so um, I definitely, I, you know, I don't want to say that this is all on the fans not being there and it would have been a completely different game and Hawaii would have won 42 to 14 if fans were there. But I'll say this, and I said this a couple of weeks ago after the Portland State game, and, and this is the one that always jumped out to me whenever I saw it happen was after a big defensive play by the University of Hawaii. And so whether that's a, a huge hit by Panay Pavihi or a sack by Jonah Lo'ulu or a broken up pass by Cortez Davis, it always brings me back to, you know, this is such a mind trip because it does nothing for San Jose State, right? Hawaii is able to jump around and celebrate and, and you know, give each other a, a fist bump and pat each other on the helmet. And then it now becomes third down or second down or whatever it is. But nothing about the game changes for San Jose State where in a game with fans, everything changes for San Jose State. Jonah Lo'ulu gets a sack. That place goes bananas, right? That place gets louder. The, the, the Spartans then have to huddle against noise and, and, and trying to get their calls from the sideline despite 
all this craziness going around them. But what you saw instead was they get up, they knock, you know, they knock the dust off, they get back into the huddle and nothing changes at all. And so that to me tells me that, you know, yeah, a lot does change when, when you have fans in the stands and it could affect the attitude and it could affect the opposing team. Obviously that's why you have home field advantage. I mean, it's not just because you're playing in a stadium you're comfortable in. I mean, for that matter, San Jose state is just about as comfortable as the university of Hawaii and the Clarence DC Ching athletics complex being that the thing was only finished four months ago or four weeks ago, I should say. And they started practicing there. Um, but um, rich, your thoughts on how much this game could have been changed if fans were in the stands? Yeah, Rob, I, I think it's that's first and foremost because the home field advantage now actually becomes an advantage for the opponent because the opponent was coming into a hostile stadium that's no longer hostile. So there goes that whole, whether it's a two-point advantage or whatever bookies want to talk about in home field, but it's the enthusiasm you talked about or the lack of enthusiasm that is when Hawaii football plays well on defense. I've always said a big hit, a tackle for a loss, a sack, an interception, uh, a, a good play defensively was louder than scoring a touchdown during all those run and shoot days. But it is important to have enthusiasm, have plans, play in front of your people and all that. So I think it's part of that. The second part, I think, Rob, is the fact that these guys know they are better than they have played in these first four games, and including the Portland State game. So they're not happy about how they played in a, in a quarter of the season, uh, approximately our third of the season is already over. The third thing I think is, you know, as a coach, I remember losing 62 to seven, first game I ever coached in 1999 against USC. June Jones came in and said, hey guys, stick to the game plan. Be, keep, let these kids know, first of all, they got to believe in you and you got to believe in them, but believe in each other. So I think it's a, it's a, they need to start believing in one another. They need to start believing in the game plan, no matter what it is. Because if there's any rumblings in the locker room about play calling or technique or execution or alignment and assignment, that's not good. And so you have to believe in your coaches. Coaches have to believe in the players. And I think there's a good enough coaching staff, and I know there's good enough players for these guys to be successful. So I just hope that that stuff has started uh, whenever that game ended on Saturday night to believe in that we can win, but we're going to have to execute. We're going to have to practice hard. We're going to have to do all the things necessary to win this next football game. Take them one at a time. All the cliche stuff, you better start working. And RJ Hollis joining us again here on Bowie's Football Final. We're going to move to the third question. Uh, this comes from someone that asked to be called Poon Pones. And so I don't want to even want to know what the background story of that one is. But anyway, they're asking about the play action delay draw. And so we've seen this over the past couple of games. Uh, Shevin Cordero takes the snap, arms straight out as if it's going to be an RPO but it's a delayed draw, uh, essentially. And so we've seen positive yardage a couple of times. We've seen losses a couple of times. But they're asking, what does this play look like when it works? And so, RJ, I want to ask you first, as an offensive lineman, um, obviously this play wasn't being run in your time at the University of Hawaii. You had delayed draws, but never really out of that the, 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 the shotgun where it's a, it looks like it's about to be an RPO and maybe even a, a triple option because you have a back. But um, what does this look like, you think, when it's very successful? When, when they're calling the play uh, to have this play, 
in the game plan, what does it look like when it works? Oh, well, I mean, from the from the fan standpoint or the, the optical standpoint, it's going to look like a very strong defense trying their best to get to the back, and then the back's just going to slip out from underneath. I mean, essentially what you're just looking at is if you ever do get a hyper-aggressive defense, you do ever get, you know, linemen that are just consistently pinning their ears back, then you can allow those rushing lanes to be the same thing that you're going to kill them with when you let the running back go. Now, the delayed part kind of makes it interesting because usually if you have a delay in that, it's more like an RPO, and then the running back and quarterback should have a man that they read. I don't know if they were doing this on Saturday night or whether it was just a design draw more so than a read, but essentially what it'll look like is there will be an aggressive defense They'll have a strong pass rush or they'll have a lot of guys flying upfield. And then the draw should just come right in between one of those defenders. And once you send all those guys down, it removes a good bit of the second level. Anybody that's dropping back in the coverage is going to be back a ways. So that should be able to give you those, you know, good yards that you want to get once you pass the lineman. So just from an offensive standpoint, it's essentially when you got a really good defensive line or, you know, an aggressive defense and you want to keep them honest by showing them the pass and then handing off the ball and the running back just hitting it down the middle. Rich, your thoughts from a de defensive mindset, um, having seen this play a few times now, it not working in, from the standpoint of getting a first down or, or a big chunk play out of it, um, can this be a play that ends up working? Because it, it obviously appears to be drawing frustration from fans whenever it's, it's seen uh can this be a play that works and changes everyone's mind yeah i think uh what rj talked about in terms of getting linemen that get up the field and you get obviously you get some seams I, i'm not sure sometimes if, if it is a true rpo and if it is who are they reading and are they pre-snap reading a certain person you know because you are you reading the inside linebacker and it's going hot to the tight end are you reading the strong safety and you and you have that quick slant when he comes up on the run. Uh, are you pulling the ball at all? Which I think you should do with number twelve. And then it is is that the zone read and, and part of that. So there's so many things you can do off of that. And uh, some of them obviously when executed properly. I, I thought two years ago with the University of Hawaii football team did the best was the RPOs. I think that uh, zone read with Chevin Cordero pulling the ball with the uh, all, the triple option is the bubble screen to Chevin Cordero, whoever, or excuse me, uh, Calvin Turner, whoever's in that slot position. Now you got three options and, and you got either give it to Day Day, you got Chevin on the pull if the end comes down or the end man on line of scrimmage. And then you also have the bubble screen if the flat defender plays it properly. So I haven't really seen that executed uh, enough to know what they're trying to do with this. Or are they good at any one of those three things? And I think that's the question that the fan has posed is, hey, uh, what, what are you doing? Because I've seen the RPO game. I've seen the read option game. I've seen the inside zone game off, off of the, um, the pistol formation. I'm not sure what they're trying to do out of that. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one uh, to, to see if it will be a play that develops trunk yardage or or uh, wins the fans over, I, I should say. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna be really open about the the Bose football final mailbox. We brought this up before, and it, like, even we're even talking about it last year, which in retrospect is 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 crazy to me that that this came up last year 
um, with what kind of a year it was and then how it ended, you know, with the winning year bowl game and, and got a lot of people excited because of the players coming back. But, you know, I, I got to say off the top of my head, like maybe, maybe 50 questions or comments came in 50 to 60. And I, the reason why I chose these three is because it's the only three that, that didn't pretty much just want to start over. Right. And, and uh, get rid of the coach. Uh, or, or complaining about wristbands on Todd Graham, which we've gone over a million times. And there just seems to be a lot of frustration, a lot of vitriol, uh, negativity towards this era of University of Hawaii football. And when you look at 13 games and a bowl game victory, and, 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 and if you're listening to this right now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be frustrated, that you can't be frustrated with losing because that no absolutely you have every right to be frustrated with losing but what surprises me is is six and seven I believe the record is right so five yeah six and seven through 13 games with a bowl trophy in the case uh, which the University of Hawaii if we're honestly speaking doesn't have very many bowl trophies when you look at over 100 years of UH football um, what do you think the main reason is behind that and and I have my thought of, of, you know, this could be a lot to do with it being two years. Since the day Todd Graham was hired at the University of Hawaii, you know, before spring camp could even open up, the pandemic started and they didn't have their first practice for months later. The season was pushed back. They played a season with no fans in attendance, with no public events. And then you go to an off season where you're able to have a full off season with spring ball and fall ball and, but you can't have any public gatherings. You can't have your, your Murphy's pigskin pig out. You can't have charity functions or fundraising efforts. And then now you're in year number two of going through it again. And in all honesty, how much do you think has to do with no one has ever had an experience with Todd Graham, with Bo Graham, with Cody Cook. There's not a fan out there that can say that they really spent a good amount of time with this coaching staff or with this program at all. I mean, Calvin Turner Jr., right, is a guy that's never had a, a public function as a University of Hawaii football player. And do you think that becomes easier to, to have that frustration and that negativity when, when you have never met this person? Because when you look at – I don't know off the top of my head, and I should have looked this up, but I, I, I'm pretty sure Rolo wasn't better than – than six and seven in, in, in his first 13 games, right? Because they went yeah, six and seven was, and they went to a bowl game. Correct. Yeah. So in fact, yeah, correct. ended the regular season six and seven. I don't remember yep. this level of frustration. I don't remember this level of negativity. And so what do you think it is? Am I on to something, Rich, or, or do you think it's something else? Well, not to get too philosophical, but there's political discourse, obviously, in, in the society we live in. Then you look at social media which again has so many negative effects. And you mentioned some of the some of the guys that have written in, or girls that have written in, are going under false names. I mean, if you can't stand up with your own name and then throw out an opinion or a thought, uh, I don't put too much uh, credence in that as anyway. But that being said, I think Rob, with this pandemic and David Ige and and and, and everything else that has happened with no fans, um, with with the uh, their lack of really uh, execution. And I think Todd Graham will tell you that, you know, two, two out of the three games they didn't play, or two out of the four games, uh, probably two and a half to three, 
they didn't play well on defense. Now you have, you know, offensive uh, concern in terms of play calling and execution. Special teams has not been good all year long. And although this season started off with, you know, I guess, you know, it, your record could be one in three and people would have said, hey, well, you got two Pac-12 teams and you have the defending Mountain West champions. So this could be a bad start to the season anyway. But I think people just expected them to play better. I think they expect to play better themselves. So there's nobody happy right now in from Hilo to Hanalei with, with the way this team is playing. But there still is great potential. And you can't give up on a coach. You can't give up and not believe in each other this early in any season. There's a lot of football to be played. But when you talk about social media and you talk about, you know, political dis discourse and all those other things, people are just negative. And you know what? I'm positive, but I don't want to be overly optimistic and say this team's going to win six out of the next nine games when if they continue to play like this. They're going to win three out of the next nine games and we're all going to be sad. RJ Hollis, your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, Rich Rich hit it all on the head. And for me personally, I do feel like I do not envy Todd Graham's position. I really don't. It's hard enough to be a, a head football coach when you're on an island, when your resources aren't what your competitors are. Uh, you, you look at, you know, even a school like UNLV, their head coach is getting double what Todd Graham is getting right now. And if you look at their new $30 million facility and some of the things they have, it's just like coming to coach, be the head coach of the University of Hawaii is already a difficult task in itself. When you add two years of no fans to that, and that's something that nobody can put their finger on how that's going to affect you because nobody's ever gone through it. Nobody's ever, I mean, and I would even say if you're talking some of the lower level FCS schools, no fans allowed for two years. It's one thing if you have no fans because nobody shows up, but for people not to be able to come to TC Ching on Saturdays when for a lot of people, that's more convenient than going to Aloha Stadium. For people to have to sit here and watch these nationally televised games in which we're getting thumped, in which we're getting, you know, destroyed by, by Pac-12 teams, which we're letting FCS teams come back, which we're letting, you know, San Jose be undermanned and we outgun them and still lose. I mean, there's it's too much to add in the frustration. And the number one thing I think, you know, that we got to go with is just like my Rand Rich said, is just the social and political discord with this whole thing. The concept, uh, or not really the concept, but the debate about COVID, the debate about, and not necessarily the virus itself, but the debate about the reaction to COVID, the debate about what the rules and regulations should be for COVID, the, the, the complaints about what's going on with all of that, that adds to the frustration of normal frustration. So when you look at UH being in the position that it was in, Rolo left after having 18 wins in his final two seasons, and he was just bought out. He was just bought out. It, it wasn't that he was frustrated. It wasn't that he wanted to leave. He was just bought out. And Ty Graham walks into that program with no ability to reach out to his players. And then for the next two years, you can't even reach out to your fans. So I, I understand there's very, very much deserving frustration. But at the same time, if anybody were to take themselves out of their body for one second. Like Rich said, you know, people on social media live behind fake profile pictures and they can say whatever they want. But if you really put yourself in the position of a coach that has to come to a mostly underfunded school and not 
have even the regular resources that schools got, like fans and recruits. I mean, I don't know who's going to be able to pull anything better than six and seven out of those 13 games. And as you alluded to, that was Rolo's record when he started. So I think the frustration is just coming from a lot of social discord, but more so that it's bleeding into our program. And it seems like the University of Hawaii is the only program that is still being handcuffed and tied down by this. So when you see all of that, you mix it with the bad performances and you mix it with the disconnect of fans, that, that's, you can't not have frustration when all of that's bubbling up. All right. Well, the, the only way to go from here is up, right? When you look at a, a one and three start for the University of Hawaii football team, uh, six and seven through the first 13 games under the Todd Graham era. And next up is the New Mexico State Aggies in Las Cruces, New Mexico, a former Western Athletic Conference member that a lot of people are very familiar with. Uh, a lot of Hawaii fans, uh, very many games against the Aggies in their time in the WAC. Um, both teams enter this game one and three. And, and so, Rich Miano, when you look at how important this game is, because we talked about how dangerous of a time this is for this University of Hawaii football team in regards to building a foundation and getting back on solid footing, not knowing if whether or not you're going to have fans against Fresno State, a very good team that's going to come in next. What do you need to see out of this University of Hawaii football team that could give the team confidence, that could give fans confidence? And maybe that's you know beyond a victory, because obviously that's what you need to see. You need to see a win in order to gain confidence. But more than that, what do you need to see? I think going back to what I alluded to earlier, confidence, confidence in the coaching staff that they will call a good game plan and get you prepared. But then the coaches need to be confident that the players will execute as RJ alluded to earlier, no matter what they call, you should be able to execute things and be successful, especially against this team. So it's four quarters of football. It's all the cliche stuff, execution, four quarters, you know, be more physical, um, you know, alignment, assignment, technique, execution, finish, you know, all of those things have to happen so that you have some sense of confidence going the following week. You can't look ahead until, you know, for Fresno State in two weeks, go take care of business on the road, you know, play better consistently, and then you'll have a chance to compete against Fresno State. But if you happen to go lay an egg against New Mexico State, the Aggies on the road, you think it's ugly now, it's going to be real ugly. Yeah, and speaking of ugly, if you think people were frustrated about having to buy pay-per-view on Spectrum Sports or a Spectrum cable outage on a Saturday afternoon, this New Mexico State game is streaming only. There is no TV option. And not only streaming only, but you got to subscribe to flowsports.tv or the Flow Sports app in order to be able to watch this game. And so uh, that almost adds to the, I think, frustration to fans, right? Yet another thing... Uh, that's standing in the way be between them and watching their beloved University of Hawaii football team. And so with all that being said, RJ, uh, it almost appears that the Rainbow Warriors not only need to win, but they need to look spectacular in order to avoid all the negativity that's going to come before even kickoff. <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I mean, more than looking spectacular for, for what's to come if you do lose, you got to look spectacular because of what we just saw this past Saturday. Two teams that you're going to face knocked off Pac-12 opponents. Not only did they knock them off, one team beat you 44-10. to 10. So for you to even believe that 6-3 and three is plausible, for you to even 
try to put that confidence back in the locker room, back in the coaching staff, back into the fans that got to jump through hoops to watch it. You got to you got to win these games. New Mexico State has got to be a dub. Stay woke so you don't get woke up. If you go in there sleep, they're going to put you down. They are going to put you down. And if they don't put you down bad enough, when you get into the locker room, start looking at your phone, I guarantee, like you said, uh, Rob, the the complaints are going to be worse than what they have ever been before. So more than just showing that you still got it, you have to go out here and have a good game on Saturday because what lies ahead, I mean, there still may be teams. And actually, I take it back. There will be teams better than UCLA, whom we all said was going to be the best team you faced all year. But now we see, based off the theory of relativity, that's going to be Fresno State. After that, that's going to be San Diego State. You still have to play them. So in order for you to even believe that you're going to have a chance to go and make a good game against Fresno State and hopefully they at least let the parents in by then, this game on Saturday has to be the game we've been waiting for for all five games. There has to be. Good offensive tempo, good play calling. We got to see an energized offense. We got to see a, a more steady defense on the back end as well as the front end. So, you know, all in all, I think it's the ultra of ultra importance to make this not only a win, but a solid and almost, you know, dominating win just so you can counteract all this negativity that's been thrown on your team through these first four games. You know, our, our buddy, uh, Sam Spangler, who I work with at KHON2, everyone knows Sammy boy. Uh, we have this fun thing we always say to each other. And and we were working in sports together for from 2012 to 2017, I believe. Um, and we would always say to each other, if I told you in 2016 that blank, and then we would say something that happened yesterday or today, and and, and it would sound like blasphemy, right? And, and and so one of them is, is what you just said, RJ. If in 2016, I told you that you were going to say in 2021 that the University of Hawaii needs to win this game because you don't even know if parents are going to be able to watch them play when they play Fresno State, what would you be thinking? Like, what are you talking about, right? And so, but that's the world that we live in right now is that the expect the unexpected at this point and, and, what this team is going through is unprecedented on so many levels. And I think that's one thing that is not an excuse. It's just one thing to remember. And, and that could add to your frustration or that could add to your sympathy, whatever it is that this, what they're going through right now. I mean, the fact that we all woke up on Saturday and found out that the band can be there. Like, what? <laughs> Like the like we're talking about whether or not the ban can go to a University of Hawaii football game. It's crazy. And so uh, this is a, a very uh, important time for University of Hawaii football for every which way that Rich and RJ uh, talked about here today on both football final. And it all starts with New Mexico State. Uh, this is a game that uh, is winnable in a lot of people's eyes. Obviously, Hawaii should be heavy favorites in this game. And if you have any hopes of going to a bowl game, needing to go six and three, I'll tell you what, one of those wins needs to be New Mexico State. And so uh, before we go, Rich, any final thoughts here uh, on this University of Hawaii football team? Yeah, my final thought is this. It's one thing to be preempted by Fox or CBS Sports or ABC or any of the national networks, ESPN. 
but to be preempted by a streaming company? How does Spectrum not get that game next week? Somebody needs to explain that to me because that's a disservice to the University of Hawaii football fans. And again, change somebody's habits on a Saturday night. They may never come back to what they were doing on the previous Saturday. All right, RJ, you're going to have the final thought here on this episode of Bo's Football Final. Uh, actually, I, my final thought is kind of uh, bouncing off what Rich said. I think one of the scariest things might be if UH does have a great game and nobody's around to see it, what does that mean? <laughs> when come next week, you play Fresno State, everybody sees that, and that's not the team we saw last week. Uh, regardless of how it goes, you know, this team just got a bow up. I don't know if anybody on the coaching staff or the players listen to Bo's football final, but if you do, you know, you, you get my sympathy. At the end of the day, we play football. This is a man sport, so nobody's going to give you excuses. But I cannot fathom, and I even tell high school kids this, I cannot fathom showing up to a football game and nobody's there. I cannot fathom, you know, my mom paying for tickets and getting a vaccination to come out here and then being told she has to go home and I want to stay, you know? So at the end of the day, you know, like you said, Rob, nobody's giving out excuses and that is not something I am here to do. But one thing I want fans, I want players, I want coaches to understand. And we've said this a couple of times, this is unprecedented what we're seeing right now. I watched Penn State play on Saturday night with 109,000 people in that stadium that is over 10 times what uh is asking for and they are not getting it so right now this is a situation where everything is stacked up against the university of hawaii football and hawaii athletics they just got to stay strong they they got to hem the tide and hope that by the end of the season things can get back into regularity but i think people truly need to see university of hawaii football has to face some of the biggest challenges before the game even starts. And I think that message needs to be said by somebody that used to play because as somebody that was just in that locker room a short few years ago, I could not tell you how many games we would have lost if we didn't have that fan base there to cheer us on. So I think my biggest thought to get out to everybody right now is just we are in a tough time, but Everybody has to be resilient from the fans to the coaches to the players. Resiliency is key, and they have to find a way to him this time to make it towards the back end, and hopefully we can get some fans uh, down at T.C. Chain. All right, University of Hawaii football team back on the road, taking on New Mexico State this week. And again, that will be on flowsports.tv. If you're on your computer, you get the Flow Sports app, which comes with a lot of games and a subscription with a lot of other stuff. But if you want to watch University of Hawaii football, that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. But if you want to hear about University of Hawaii football, you be sure to catch Bo's Football Final every Monday at khon2.com or anywhere you download podcasts. And as always, throughout the week, pregame, in-game, post-game, all your Bo's coverage at khon2 and khon2.com. But much mahalo, everybody, for listening. Thanks for interacting with us on social media for Bose Football Final, for Rich Miano, for RJ Hollis. I'm Rob DeMello. Hope everyone has a great, happy, and healthy week. Aloha. <laughs>